Hey, it's Scott Orner, Cruise Consulting, and thanks for joining us on Founders and Friends for another awesome podcast. Let's give a quick shout out to the Cruise Consulting accounting team. We're very fortunate. We have a ton of people at Cruise who work on the monthly books for our clients and get them all set up, due diligence ready, rocking every month, answering all the clients' questions, making all those adjustments. And there's no better moment for a founder and for us, really, when founder says, hey, I think I'm going to get a term sheet. Are my books ready for diligence? And we get to say, yes, they are. Fire away. Send them over. Give them access. That is a great feeling. It's the feeling that lets us know we've done a job very well done. And nothing is better than watching that cash hit the bank account. So if you are a venture-backed startup, you're going out to fundraise, maybe check us out. Check us out at cruiseconsulting.com. We love what we do. At taping here, I think we have 575 clients. Clients raise over a billion dollars this year. So we know what we're doing. And hopefully we can help you be successful in your fundraise. All right, let's get to the podcast. Thanks. So when your troubles are mounting in tax or accounting, you go to Cruise Founders and Friends. It's Cruise Consulting. Founders and Friends with your host, Scotty Orn. Welcome to Founders and Friends podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting. And today my very special guest is Marcelino. Pantoja of Measurement. Welcome, Marcelino. Scott, thank you for having me today. I'm super excited to talk about this because you are doing something that I think is amazing in the venture capital asset class. Uh, do you mind kind of retracing your career and tell everyone how they how you had the idea for Measurement? Sure, of course, actually. To just give you some context, my very first job straight out of college was to work at a Wilson, at Wilson Sonsini, which is which is a law firm based in oh, Palo Alto. Yeah. And I was actually an assistant to a paralegal. My task at the time was to print out stock certificates after every venture round of financing for these startups. So if you recall at the time, preferred shares were printed in blue, blue pieces of paper <laughs> and common was printed on, on green. And, and I had to make sure that the names- I didn't know that. That's crazy. Right? And I had to make sure that the names and the share counts were accurate at the time. So. That was like my first introduction to startups 15 years ago. I also love how you started at the, at the quote unquote bottom. It's like, we all started there. You know, I was an investment banking analyst binding my, my presentation books at three in the morning oh. myself. And that's just yeah. builds character, right? It does. And, and, and at the time I thought I was going to go to law school, but I, I saw investing in startups with so much more fun and much more interesting, even though it was a time when venture was considered dead back Back in oh yeah. What years were that? Like 2007 actually. Oh seven. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 And as a result from that, I only spent about six months there. And apparently that was enough for me to be able to get a role at the investment office for Stanford university to oversee. Oh my the God. Amazing. Portfolio. Good for you. Well, if, yeah, well, if you recall awesome. at the time venture was dead, they had this direct investment portfolio that no other school has where the school gets to participate in these deals by passing a fee and carry yep. these funds just because the senior GP at these funds are Stanford, Stanford alums, alum. and they love yeah. and they yeah. love Stanford. But that was enough of experience. It was a two-year analyst role. I actually stayed on for six years, and the team was quite new because, or Stanford that then this endowment CIO that is was quite new at the time because the previous endowment team went to form on a large fund firm called McKenna Capital. Yeah, I know one of the partners there. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. almost McKenna, like you. Yeah. It was an opportunity for me where just because of luck. I had a chance to get a role there where then I was able to stay on for six years and learn everything there is to know about investing in startups as well as investing in funds 
uh, fund managers that is. And for those that don't know, Stanford, it's like Stanford and probably Yale and Harvard, right? Are, and it pains me to say that as a cow alum, UC, UC is a top 10 endowment and is very active too, but right. Yale, Stanford and Harvard have huge endowments. And so they, they get to invest in like the best funds. It's pretty, and, and like you said, the, the alumni base is oftentimes like a GP at a venture capital fund or something like that too. So yeah. it's, it's a top, top, you know, you saw the best of the best. Yes, but but at the same, I like I went to Yale for undergrad. I was a beneficiary of David Swenson's work and the yeah, fund managers yeah. that he selected. So I, I I think it's a privileged position they have, but it's also something about the alumni, especially the fund managers. They love the schools. They give oh. so much back to these schools. So it was it was like an incredible position for me to see how the best fund managers operate, how they work, not just in venture, totally. but across all asset classes. Yeah, yeah. So from there. I actually thought I was going to be a lifer at the endowment. And instead, one of the VCs that I, of the many that I met there, was starting his own fund, is, which is called Costa Nova Ventures. And this is, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is Greg Sands. And he was previously yeah. at Sutter Hill Ventures, which is a storage firm in the Valley that has done incredibly well. And for me at the time, it was a way to learn something beyond just evaluating fund managers and managing a portfolio of fund, of fund managers. And from that, I actually had the chance to join him in 2013 to help him build a firm, to go through the whole experience, entrepreneurial experience of building a fund, an institutional quality fund, going through the process of helping them fundraise, managing an existing portfolio, helping founders, the whole works. And it was a good experience overall. It's also especially amazing to be on the ground floor of a fund being created, you know, because right. you see the venture capital asset class has a lot of like, it's very good at marketing itself, honestly, you know, mm -hmm. and so there's a lot of glitz and glam, so to speak, but you see how hard it is and how hard operations are and getting those first capital commitments from the LPs and all that stuff. You don't, you wouldn't know this about me, but I, was uh, a partner at a venture lending fund called Lighthouse, but I came in at Fund Four as an as an associate, worked my way up, you know. But I, even I, even though I wasn't one of the people who really built the firm, could see how hard it was, like on a on a daily, weekly basis. So I have a lot of respect for for people who start their own funds, well, and because uh, usually they could just stay at Sutter Hill or Kleiner right. or Sequoia or whatever and have a great life, but they're trying something different, you know, and, and kudos to you for being along for the ride there and getting in early. Well, I, I had to recognize, especially Greg, I mean, he left the fund. They have the same set of LPs that always re-up every year. It's, it's, he had to go yeah. from that to then pounding the pavement, knocking on doors, shaking hands. And I know, I know. It, it oh. was, to, for him to do that, I, oh, I admire that. And also to do it from, out of nowhere. But then the other part is, unlike today, new funds were not as common for him to go through that. And, and for my to get firsthand experience and helping him build the firm was valuable because it helped me assess what it really took to build an institutional quality fund. Because at Stanford, I got to see the best fund managers already being the best yeah. fund managers. Yeah, totally. They, totally. They already have the client, the clients, or and even if they were evaluating an up and coming fund manager, there was there was something behind that up and coming fund manager that the level of work it took to build that kind of fund perhaps is not as much when you're at that caliber versus what I saw working with Greg. And and then yeah. It's one thing as an LP, you request all these materials or this analysis or you or you ask all these questions. And you don't even think much of it, but on the other side, 
It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. I've been, I mean, I remember we would take like two weeks, like to sit in a conference room and prep for annual meeting every year. Cause there was right. so much data we had and tend to fine tune it and give people answers to the questions they wanted and have everything, even to have the data updated because a lot of the portfolio companies weren't the greatest at responding to, to us, you know, or things like that. It's, it's, it's a, it's tough. Right. It's really tough. Right. So it was a wonderful experience there with Greg and, at Costa Noa, I I left in 2016 thinking I was going to go back to the endowment world, and instead I found myself advising a few funds, and then most recently I was advising Tribe, where I was actually then joined them in 2020 and helped them build their firm there. And in Tribe's case, that's the former early stage team at Social Capital, which would be Ted yeah. Maidenberg, yeah. Arjun Sethi, and Jonathan Shu. And what I loved about them is is their their investment thesis, quantify, quantifying product market fit. And how they took a more of a startup approach to building their firm, which was different from what other funds are doing. And yeah, yeah. that was an incredible experience to get working with them during the time that I was there with them. And coming out of social capital also, they kind of like, you know, I, I never really I don't know, I don't know the details, but I know that that was kind of an unexpected departure for a lot of people at that firm. Like social capital kind of changed overnight, you know. So it also probably taught them the value of kind of controlling their own destiny in the fun worlds right. and building, they probably went through the same exact exercise that Cosanoa went through building their fund. Well, you have to know, you have to have your own investment philosophy and your own investment thesis and then your own conviction behind it into then, then take that true step of them forming that new fund or new firm or even new company to act on and exercise that on what you believe and what you're trying to create. So I, 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 frankly, I took some time advising, advising them first before joining them officially and helping them build a firm. And I wouldn't have left if it wasn't for what I'm working on today. Yeah. We'll talk about measurement. Like I'm super excited about it. Definitely. The idea came about out of these discussions through a seed fund manager, whose name is Tim Connors at Pivot North Capital. And Hmm. I've known Tim since my favorite. I knew Tim. I don't know him well, but I, interact with him a little bit way back in the day when he was at uh usvp maybe That's right yes and he actually there's a little start he led like the seed before seed was cool yes he led it in a little company called remotive mm-hmm. which then turned into zipline That's right. and i was a co-invest a small co-investor at lighthouse in zipline in remotive which became zipline and it's got to be like a humongous home run for him but he re-upped when it wasn't looking too great on, on the pivot. And so I give that guy tons of credit for, uh, for being there for Keller and the team. And, and they're doing big things at Zipline now. So I, I, I'm familiar with his work. I appreciate you sharing that. He is incredible. Yeah. And I've known him since my time at Stanford. He was one of the VCs on the various investment committees that I was reporting to because of the direct investment portfolio that Stanford had. And he actually is a solo GP Pivot North Capital is the name of the firm that he has. And before that, he actually started out at Sequoia Capital, where he was there for about three years. And then from there, he went to USVP, where he was there about six years, six to seven years before forming Pivot North. But solo GP, because he wants to work closely with the founder and help the founder go through that customer development phase to get them to product market fit. Yep. He's hands-on. He actually brings to bear helping not just his network access and resources that he has, but really go through that, that company formation stage, like actually go through the details behind it to help yeah, yeah. get to that point. 
And we were talking for the past few years about this idea of creating a different type of fund that can back the best companies that would come out of not just his portfolio, but other seed fund managers out there. And it was only till last year that we realized that it was time to do it. And he essentially offered to back it. Not only that, will help me build this. And, and it was giving me the opportunity to be a founder of an asset management company startup where because of my experience and background as a former LP, as well as an experience in building institutional quality funds, I, I believe that working with a true company builder like Tim, like, why not? Let's go for it. Let's do it. Yeah. And you had the background, you've seen it all. You've seen every side of the equation, you know, right. and it's kind of maybe that moment to take the leap yourself. Right. Exactly. Well, that, that's what it was. It's, it was to do it, but it did with somebody who I, whose reputation I've known well yeah. and, and who I've seen, I mean, I mean, you mentioned Zipline. Obviously, there are other companies like Chime and Looker, for example, that it's nice to work with a winner who knows what it takes to actually build something. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. But, yeah. but to add to that, it was not just him, though. Also, it was so the other person that I'm working with, he, Tim, along created a, so he has his fund. He created a studio platform that is actually called Platform, a venture studio. Mm. And he did it with Jeremy Burton, who's a former co former CTO and co-founder at a company called Wanola. That's also one of Tim's portfolio companies. And it's a Sequoia-backed company that it's done incredibly well. And to work with both Tim and Jeremy, who also is a company builder, who knows what it takes to go through the stages of getting building a company from the, just a concept. In working with him and Tim, that's when I knew that, this, that, that there was substance behind this idea that we can actually act on versus just exploring a concept in the first place. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And then, you know, when you go to the measurements, measure, you know, measurement your, your group's website, one of the first things you see is the word index, yes. which venture capital index, which I think is such a, it's a fascinating moment in the venture capital industry because you, like Tim, for example, and again, I don't know him well, I just know of him and mm -hmm. been on a couple of cap tables. But he started his seed fund when there was like seed was not cool. Right. No one wanted to do seed back then. It wasn't cool at all. And furthermore, you kind of had a hard time getting follow on capital for your companies, right? So he's he's you through his eyes and through your work at Stanford and with Cosano, you've seen you've seen how the markets have kind of matured, right. the venture markets, and it feels like they're getting more and more liquid. More people are coming in, and it feels like to me the market is getting ready to be able to handle index plays. Right. Which I think is fascinating. And I think that's kind of what you're doing, right? Like that's, it's, it's the moment in time where you're, you've got what you, you've been building it and now you're at the right moment in time to actually execute on it. Well, I'm biased here, but he, I think he's, he has a vision of where the market is transforming. And of course, as an investor, he's making a bet on that transformation itself to actually make it happen. And I here as the founder of what we're building as an asset management company startup, we're exercising on that bet, like acting on it, excuse me, to build, to make that transformation happen. The idea being that today, so let me show you like the thesis behind what we're trying to build here, which is that founders today, especially their management teams are much more sophisticated. They know once they found, once they find product market fit, they know how to build and scale their companies to become very successful and become public at a multi-billion dollar market cap value. Yeah. And there's they, also just so much more info out there, not, not just from the VCs, but from all the 
best practices and all the video contents. And it's, it's in a way you can get like kind of an education as a founder ahead of time and not have to live every mistake, which I think is, is, is different than like, I look back on like help each other, excuse me. They help each other. That's a, a mate. That's the best point. They help each other so much more because they're connected and they've gone through the same patterns. And so I, I, I totally agree. So founders have access to more information, more Mm -hmm. self-sufficient, can learn more, don't have to learn it the hard way every time. Still, they still do learn the hard way sometimes, but like, you know, that's just life. Well, I mean, it's still difficult. It's not, but it's gotten much easier to build and scale a company once you have product market fit. But yet you have these fund managers who, who operate in these after this, after the seed rounds at the expansion to growth stage to late stage operating as as though they're they're very hands-on and doing all this work all this quote-unquote value add and and many of them do i'm not denying it but my our investment thesis is that the the majority of them are just capital providers and yet at the same time they're charging a premium fee essentially for market returns so our thinking here is that why not identify who the true cdbcs are that which are which i turn them as company builders who are helping founders build their companies to get them to product market fit and then create a fund that is much more economically efficient to invest in those companies, back those companies, beginning at whether it's A or B round, all the way to exit. Hey, it's Scott Orn, and we're going to take a quick break from the podcast to give a shout out to the cruise tax team. Gosh, it's so nice to have an in-house tax team. I can't even tell you. Uh, we have some really amazing professionals on the team. It's over, I think it's 13 people now. And we do everything from your federal state income tax return, state franchise tax filings, R&D tax credits. Those are pretty popular these days. And guess what? They're there for you when you go through diligence. A lot of people don't know this, but you actually go through tax diligence, not just operational kind of financial diligence, but you do go through tax diligence. So it's nice to have Vanessa Cruz on the phone with your VCs. And with the accounting firm they hired to diligence all your stuff and the law firm they hired to diligence all your stuff, Vanessa knows what she's doing. She's done this a million times. And, uh, and not, it's not just Vanessa. We have a really great team of tax professionals that will do those calls too. It's, it's kind of sometimes the difference between getting around closed or having it take another two weeks because something was disorganized and the tax compliance wasn't done correctly. We hear those horror stories from clients that come to us. So, hey, if you want Cruz's tax team on your side, we're here for you. Check us out at cruiseconsulting.com. Thanks. I love it. And the other, in in my, because I have like a CFA, MBA, the word index to me is like a positive because it, it means diversification. It typically means lower fees. Like in the public markets, you have the S&P 500, the NASDAQ, these index products that you can buy mm-hmm. are passively managed and they're very, they're very affordable. You know, you're not paying the the old school. Like when my dad was buying stocks 30 years ago or 40 <laughs> years ago, he's paying broker like a thousand dollars a transaction, right. whatever it was, something crazy, right? And so that's why I actually say the index coming into venture, in, the ability to index in venture capital will be a net positive for everybody because those those fees and and carry and things like that have to come from somewhere, right? And they typically come from either the capital provider side, the the foundations, endowments institutions that are providing the capital or they come from the founders. The founders are experiencing the dilution. So in a way, it's actually like a, a net positive for the founders to be able to work with indexed capital 
And the other thing I see, I, we were talking about this before I turned the mics mm -hmm. on, but like I have friends like, that are Wall Street or big financial institutions. All those firms are building pathways into the venture capital asset class to because their clients, the high net worth individuals or family offices want exposure to that in an affordable way. They're sophisticated. They right. don't want to pay crazy fees. So they need it to be affordable, but also diversified. So there's this culmination of like trends happening and it feels like the venture capital asset class is hitting that moment. It is. It is. Everything that you see, and this is what I've shared with friends in the industry. They are fund managers, LPs, founders, what have you. I'll share, I've shared that. Any, everything that happened in the public markets, it will happen in the private markets as yeah. well. Yeah. It will become much more efficient. And a lot of it has to do because of the volume of the transactions, the volume of activity, the volume of startups being formed, and the volume of investors out there. But I'd also say like technology yes. and visibility and understanding key metrics and things like that. Like the information asymmetries are not as strong as they used to be. Right. Like in 2002, when I started working in venture capital, it was like the stone age, you know, right? <laughs> like you didn't even have like cost acquisition, LTV weren't even like really things that people thought of, or like, it was crazy. Well, back in know? the 80s, the Quotron before the Bloomberg terminal, like that was a big deal. And that made, yeah, that, yeah. that made public market investing much more efficient. Totally. Like yeah. Years. So it's, it's similar, similar stuff. So, well, how do like, how, what's, what's measurements role in the process and are you mm -hmm. investing capital directly in the companies? Like, how does it work? What we're doing is, yes, it is investing directly into the company, but we're collaborating with the seed fund manager. So our view is that the CDVC, we call them company builders. I, I, I don't want to necessarily distinguish it as just them being a seed fund manager, which they are, but they have their own funds, their own oversubscribed funds. They're successful. They have an incredible track record and they have a reputation as company builders. They, they attract yep. the right set of founders who are going to build the next set of compelling companies. But the thing is to go through that customer development phase, that early stage, is that it's incredibly cheap. You only need capital once you want to begin to scale afterwards after you find product market fit. The whole experimentation, all you need is a laptop and an AWS account to just get I started. Know, it's right. crazy, right? It, it, yep. Exactly. And, and for these seed fund managers, to have a small seed fund is actually just the right size to invest and get the returns that they're in for if they're successful, yeah. of course. But what happens is that, yes, they get a board seat at the very beginning, especially for people like Tim, they're disciplined investors and, and they, they have conviction in who they're backing. But as soon as these companies are successful, they're raising from other fund managers who then are asking for board seats and certain rights and preferences and essentially pushing aside the initial investor who helped the founder get to that stage, even though they can still remain on the board and provide and and provide the oversight that the company needs, especially that the founder wants, because that's the first person that believed in them to get all the all the way to to exit. There's a I it's also sometimes they get they're not even allowed to do their own pro ratas or things like that, right? Like the the big the big fund is pushing them around a little bit, right? And well, they experience dilution that they shouldn't really experience. Be, all because the bigger funds have more capital to provide. That's yep. it. Yep. Now yep. that doesn't mean that they don't provide any value add. Some do. And, but our view is that there shouldn't be that if I could use a metaphor, there shouldn't be too many cooks in the kitchen, especially since the first cook was the one who helped them help the company founder get there. Yep. Yep. There our views then is that then why not 
raise a fund that can back the best companies out of these portfolio out of the, the seed fund portfolios in collaboration with them ask them to remain on the board we're not asking for board seats if anything all that we're asking is that, that any independent board members be added that they also be people who are skilled and experienced in scaling companies and otherwise we'll just stay out of the way as long as the company meets or exceeds the relevant metrics or milestone at each stage of financing they should just get automatic funding from us at every stage now that doesn't mean that we'll be able to lead every round i mean we're just starting but over time yeah to be the source of capital for the best companies would you set the valuation or how would that kind of dance go like how does how does that work yes our view is that i mean the markets has changed it's it's a big market now there's more than enough comparables so valuation it is a dance that continues to operate as one but the reality a lot of companies out there just they look at others who are operating similar stage and similar whether they've accomplished similar milestones and certain metrics there's not much really to negotiate for yeah, yeah. What's out there right everyone kind of knows the range yes so because speak. the market's become much more efficient i mean don't get me yeah. wrong some would argue like it was a bit frothy last year i can't disagree but the market <laughs> yeah. adjusts overall and even the dispersion between like ones that are pretty extreme or, or not, like it goes within a certain range, so just sh showing how the market's become much more efficient than it was 20 yeah. years ago. Yeah. So you guys, so these, if I understand the flow correctly, the seed stage fund that, you know, that helped build the company knows the, knows the startup is about ready for some more equity capital. And so they'll reach out to measurement and say like, Hey, we're thinking about, you know, adding some more money in here. What do you think? Do you want to take a look? And then how does your process work from that point on? Yeah. So, for, so Tim is the first seed fund manager that we're working with. And then we have two others that we're already talking to. And then there are others that we're already identifying before meeting with them, but already having a pre-existing relationship with Tim, who I've known for essentially 12, 12 years now, that's important because it allows us to collaborate and get to meet the founders way ahead of time before anybody else does. And we want to build a similar relationship with the other seed fund managers that we have identified so that we can be, get to know their portfolio company founders and do a level that, that level of work and analysis to identify those companies yeah. to invest in. And that's yeah. only possible if it's based on a level of trust and yeah, that takes time. So we're taking, we're intentionally taking the time to meet with the others that we want to work with and, and build a similar relationship that we have with Tim so that we can do that. So in a way, the founders could see it as like, we're that seed fund managers teammate. Yeah. That's how, that's a good way of saying it. Like you're on the same team yeah. and I got to imagine after a while you'll start getting, it's almost like you're on the uh, approved list or something like that. Cause, cause with it, with index investing comes more liquidity in a market in general. Mm -hmm. And so it's cause that's the other kind of trend we're seeing at cruise is the markets are more liquid. Like even the best companies raise money like every six to 12 months now or nine months or it's happening faster. And I think some of that's like the market was frothy and things like that, but also the metrics and ability to understand a company and ability to kind of keep in touch with them is much easier for people. And so I could see that you guys benefiting from that trend as well. Benefiting from it, but also acknowledging that it exists. Yeah. Meaning where fund, other fund managers are still operating as though the private markets are that incredibly inefficient or, or, or opaque, if that's the right word. It's 
it's well known how how these fundraisers should operate. Yet you see yeah. you see founders still spending time, you know, fundraising quite a bit of time fundraising when they should be focusing on building their company. But because yeah, that's the also the big payoff for them. Right, the focus. Yeah, right. this is amazing. You you're really onto something here. Do you have LPs? Like, do you have a fund? Like, how? What's yeah. the investing mechanism so right now? We're not. We're very. We're barely at the very beginning. So, we're also going going through the customer development phase of talking to yeah. LPs, talking to founders, and talking to other C to VCs in order to make sure that this actually makes sense to them and that this is something that they would want to have, which they do. Feedback has been enthusiastic, but we started primarily first with LPs because we want to be sure that our fund structure makes sense to them. So for example, well, ours is going to be an evergreen fund structure. That way we can raise capital and in a scalable manner to provide to the to the best companies that come out of these portfolios. And to be more of a permanent capital like source of vehicle, just like it's happening in private equity. So that way that's yeah. the best. I gotta believe like the family offices like that too, because the fund cycle can lead to kind of adverse consequences or ad- poor decision making sometimes. Like a fund might decide to leave a company or liquidate half of it or something like that because they want to recycle the capital back to the LP so that the LPs can commit in the next fund. Whereas if it's evergreen, it's, it's, you just, you're just, it's like fidelity or how they buy stock, right? They just sit there and they hold it for a long time, you know? And, and yet we're doing that because we're replicating what index funds do in the public markets that it. Yeah. Yeah. In order for it to be economically efficient, it means instead of charging being uncommitted capital and carry as traditional private funds do, it's going to be management fee on AUM. So, which for m- most institutional LPs, especially large institutional LPs, that's something that they're actually intimately familiar with and would rather yep. have yep. than what exists today. So, yeah, us creating well, they're already paying a management fee. They just don't have to pay the the carry right or a different. Because usually also when index funds get standardized, the fee as a percentage of the fund value marches down over time because the fund gets, the index gets more efficient, the pools of capital get greater, you have to charge such a high fee. So it's it's like this, it's like efficiency from capitalism at its best, basically. Right. And the part about it is that we're charging no carry because we recognize that the market return, it's, it's earning market returns, that is the value that the founders are creating to build the value there. So in the way we're incentivized is that it's scale, but also performance. As long as these companies continue to outperform and grow, then we're earning the management fee on AUM that is, we're, we're earning yeah, yeah, what, what we're earning. And it's really cool. But then the other part is also just to add to this, that when I started at Stanford, only endowment LPs like Stanford and other equivalent schools out there were able to reap the windfalls from venture returns, like or from these yeah. startups, and only until recently were there more participants in our asset class. But even then, like it's that's not spread as evenly as one would like to believe it to be. Totally, totally. Our view is that there are quite a few small endowments and foundations that will never be able to access this kind of opportunity that we can provide now through this. And then there are quite a number of professional investors or even people in tech, other founders and, and entrepreneurs, as well as as well as executives at these large tech companies. They're the ones creating all this value, yet they themselves cannot reap the windfalls from all the value that they create. The reason I, we call that an index fund 
is because we want this make make this accessible not just to institutional piece that want better exposure to top decile returns and venture but also to all the other participants in the ecosystem that yeah. also wants to invest in this i love it i think you're honest on marcelino well i gotta be respectful of your time so we we should probably wrap up but mm -hmm. can you tell everyone how to find you how to reach out to measurement if they want to participate hear the pitch how can they reach you oh yes i our website and measurement.fund if you can go and sign up there i personally am responding to every every person that's provided their contact information there and then that way we can connect uh, primarily of course lps because that's we're in the very beginning but we're also meeting with other vcs that are out there because we want to meet with every company builder that is truly helping their founder go through the early early days of building a new company and then of course with founders as well because of course at the end of the day they're the ones who are the they're, true company builders. And they're going to benefit a lot from it. I guess. Well, thank you, Marcelino. Check out measurement.fun. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. And I'll catch you later. Thank you for having me, Scott. I appreciate it. So when your troubles are mounting in tax or accounting, you go to Cruise from Founders and Friends. It's Cruise Consulting. Founders and Friends with your host, Scotty Oh.